Savages. This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Tom. And this is where you can find over at MMAJunkie.com. But on this here program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, but in a bit of a different way. It is an off week for the UFC. Usually this will be a top five, or at the very least a top five replay. But no such luck this week. Um, wasn't planning on to, like I kind of uh, mentioned, but what we will be doing is... Uh, some shouts off the top. Going to recap UFC Vegas 27, UFC uh, Fight Night 188, UFC Font vs. Garbrandt from top to bottom. Um, talk some technique. Um, then uh, I'll probably sneak some Amazon reads as well in the shouts, uh, by the way. Um, and uh, then I'm going to, you think, you know, with this being my third time, which I'll explain in a second recording this podcast, I'd be a little more collected, uh, although my energy level is better today, this Friday morning. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll jump on to some questions and comments uh, for some cleanup, um, and then we'll get out of here. We won't make it too long. Uh, yeah, just, just kind of catching up, and then it's going to be some weird weeks kind of going forward, too. But yeah, this was, um, apologies, this was like my, my third time doing the podcast. I was going to do it like way back Tuesday night or something, and then I got distracted because, uh, I saw that the, the sound of violence was live, and uh, I was hooking up this mic stand anyways that uh, I'm going to shout you listeners for, that I can thank you guys here for, too, for. And um, I, I went ahead and got distracted, and then it was too late, and my brain wasn't feeling it. And I'm like, you know what? I got I got more time this week. And then um, I actually uh, got excited about an article because I called, called a bit of an audible. I was originally supposed to write something. I was assigned something on, I think it was Lewis... Derek Lewis, Francis Ngannou, which, you know, that first fight was so fun, right? Um, but kind of forecasting to the second one, um, and uh, I kind of wanted to talk about jabs instead. And thankfully, my editor-in-chief was super cool uh, and uh, was, you know, uh, let me uh, let me call that audible. And um, so I just threw together uh, a top eight jabbing performances in the UFC, or my top eight, I guess, my favorite jabbing performances. Um, not the definitive, because there's no way to do that. And there's no really even to rank them within context, because historical context and growth, um, it, it's so it's such a tricky sample size. And again, context often not taken into account in many walks of life. It's kind of the problem these days. Uh, and of course, if Dan Tom would have his way, which I feel less bad about, shouts the best camp of my life, hearing uh, Fernando Pratis and Chad Dundas speak on this. Like, if I had my way, I wouldn't have put this out for like months. I would have... Um, you know, hat in hand, uh, you know, got some opinions from people I really respect, although I did have some help there. Shouts to, like, Ryan Wagner uh, pointing me um, 
uh, in, in the right directions or, you know, uh, sourcing materials like opinions of guys I respect who should get some more shot, like Sean Madden, uh, striking coach, a uh, former fighter there. I don't know if he's former or not, or if he's still in the fight, but yeah. Um, and um, uh, also shouts to uh, uh, Fino, uh, at FinoXSky, uh, content creator for the uh, fightsite.com. I, I also backlinked one of his um, articles for Gastelum Whitaker, although the performance I chose was uh, Whitaker Romero 2 because he was limited to one hand and whatnot. So that was just kind of a really unique one. Um, but... I do reference the master class of him building off things um, in the Gaslam fight and linked Fino's breakdown, who just does a really good job. And so I just wanted to make sure to give those people some shouts here. And uh, hopefully uh, from the fans, uh, my fellow analysts to, you know, my fellow, because I include myself in there too, even in the negative way I put it, because <laughs> you could throw that at me, the MMA hipsters of the world, hopefully don't go too hard on me. Um, as you know, you know, anybody who works for any of the outlets know, you know, you, you got to get content out. Um, but uh, this was a really fun one to do, that being said. And I would like to think that if you go through it, you'll learn something here or there. Because I honestly, I, I honestly learned something myself. And that's what I love about these off weeks. That's what I love about my job. Um, when we're not being drowned by the monotony of the UFC beaten schedule. It's like you can actually like look back and appreciate things. God forbid we, we all should do that, especially me in life and in general, but especially with MMA, as fast moving as it is, and it allows me to just kind of immerse myself and learn things. And that's how I learned so much was just, you know, I wanted to get in, you know, this industry many years ago. And because I, at that time, at least there was a... Uh, very light load as far as analysts or even them trying to encourage at the top levels fighters to do analyst jobs. Um, so the martial arts artist voice was kind of uh, lacking um, as it is now in a completely different way, which is another conversation. But um, but now it's like uh, superfluous. Uh, there's just so much of it. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. But um, but yeah, and I guess in the beginning that you, you think that you know you want to add to it, and then you realize how much you don't know um, from obvious stuff like writing and grammar and all the stuff I'm really stupid at. But like, I mean, even more like within the stuff you think you specialize in. You're like, oh, I'm really ignorant in a lot of this stuff. So um, and uh, you know, I got a lot of issues, but ego I would like to think isn't one of the major ones. So I'm I'm pretty good about a. Uh, you know, being able just to be humble and learn. That's, that's the only way I've gotten anywhere, I think, because I definitely do not have the athleticism. Let's push on. But if you want to check out that article, um, it's at up at MMAJunkie.com. I think it's pinned to my profile, at DanTomMMA on Twitter, where you can follow me and, and kind of uh, get at me the easiest, as well as, you know, at the PYN podcast on all social platforms. I do not pollute your feed, but it's very helpful. By the way, give this a like if you're listening to the audio version on YouTube. Subscribe, Daniel Tom MMA. I haven't really been pushing subscribers. I kind of get, like, okay, I think, like, wherever I'm at is kind of what I deserve. <laughs> and because, you know, it's either that or I, I'm, I'm, you know, you start turning and playing the hating game because it's easy to do, especially in this space, when you see, like, wait, this person has followers for doing this? Just, you know, or this person has followers for just doing this, whatever the beat or whatever the gimmick is. And, um, I still don't get it, so I, I'm, I, you know, instead of hating on it, I'm just gonna work on my, keep working on myself, because I clearly need to. But if you want to help me or encourage the process, Daniel Tom and May, to help that weak subscriber count. But honestly, I'm not stressing it. 
um, just like with the click-throughs, which I'm going to shout here in a second as we push through the breakdown. Check, uh, I will timestamp when we do the, uh, not the breakdown, the recap. For anybody who wants to jump to the technical stuff or the questions, I'll timestamp those two things. Um, yeah, again, third time you think I'd be better at collecting my thoughts here. But, um, but yeah, where was I? Uh, just recap. Yeah, if you want to check out that article, uh, that's where it's up. Yeah, I was plugging all the socials. Appreciate that. But yeah, another reason why I wasn't like pushing all that stuff and the click-throughs too hard is what I was going to say. It was just, it, it's kind of a weird, you know, it's been... It's been a rough one, folks, and um, I'll address kind of that with one of the questions slash comments uh, in that section, um, but basically just like, you know, the tone of the podcast, which I'm really trying to, you know, do what the service suggests, <laughs> not stick to sports because that's bullshit and that's, you know, whatever, but like, um, because politics inherently are in, in, in intertwined with sports, whether we like it or not, um, but yeah, obviously I'm trying to stick to what I, 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 the service, you know, and even though this podcast is free and will remain free, I still treat it as a service, uh, and what, what, what the service, uh, advertises it should be doing. Um, so I've, in my defense, I feel like I've been, been making a push to that effort. However, um, even though I did, uh, some people thought I was being quiet on things for a reason and that definitely wasn't, you know, just the case. Uh, so I, I want to touch on that when we get to the listener question and comments, but um, a, you know, there's just been, you know, again, it's been been, been a rough, weird few couple of weeks. Um, and in my defense, you know, which I'll, I'll leave it. Uh, I, I will say that I, I think that I was proven right this month, sadly. But um, also going forward, um, you got next week, which is Sakai versus Rosenstruck Fantasy Jewish Fight League. Um, you know, my guy there, Rosenstruck. Um, but um, obviously, that's a really weak card. It's easily like a top three weakest cards of 2021. And I would venture to say it's easily in the top five for weakest cards since the pandemic. And that's just what it lists now, like a week and a half out or so, right? A week out, just over a week out. Um, who knows what's going to change since. So, um, and then the week after that is a huge week. Uh, Bellator title fight, yeah, Amosoft Lima, which I'll be writing, uh, writing up and covering. Get some PFL, um, and then you got, of course, UFC 263, which I'll be writing up and doing videos for uh, Nate Diaz, Leon Edwards, uh, Moreno, uh, Figueredo 2, and uh, what is it, Vittori and Adesanya is on there as well. But yeah, so it's a huge week, and I'm finally going back to Hawaii to bury my grandpa that week. So in order to make sure to still get content for my yab and... and um, in order to, on an important week, and in order to, yeah, God forbid, um, I want to say enjoy myself, because like this trip, and by the way, I did the math, every trip back home, not just to a place you can vacation, but also as your home, every trip to Hawaii for literally the last decade has either been for work or for a funeral. So I, I am going to try to enjoy myself, um, taking the girlfriend, but... Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm going to, to, to bury my grandfather long overdue, you know, died right after the uh, uh, many complications. But, yeah, right when uh, COVID was kicking up. And um, and we, so we've been waiting this whole time. We could get him cremated. He's not sitting there rotting or anything. Jesus Christ. Man. But, um, but yeah, so uh, I've got a lot to juggle. So how I negotiated that um, with my work schedule. And, again, thankfully, you know, i got some cool bosses that will work with me. But, like, um, I'm, I'm going to skip. Sakai Rosenstruck, oh, <laughs> the collective sigh in the room. <laughs> I know you guys were looking so forward so much for that in-depth 
<laughs> break down how many left hooks will Rosenstruck throw in the course of 15 minutes over under set at 2.5 I mean I know you guys were itching for that <laughs> but um yeah so I'm gonna take that off I'm still gonna jump on here sometime during the week probably earlier just to get it out of the way uh, so I can like I said for the point of focusing on the next week so I'll you know and I still got to submit staff picks through all these weeks so you know, knowing Dan Tom, I'll probably still peruse and research more than I should on these quote-unquote off weeks. Um, so therefore, I will uh, lay you guys my surface-level picks, as they say, right? Um, just to give you guys something. Um, and if it's really short, I'll attach on like some kind of top five flashback if you want some type of listening pleasure for your leisure. And then when we come back from Hawaii, it's Ige versus Zombie. Um... I will be working and covering that one, although, you know, I'll be looking, you know, you guys could probably already guess where I'll be leaning there, both as an analyst and bias, by the way, stated bias, but, um, you know, I think that card should be better, I think, off memory, but then then there's kind of a weak card the next week, too, even with Bellator, it was like Mogowski, uh, Tim Johnson, um, so I'm going to, you know, uh, take off that week. Um, as well, so yeah, I'm not standing too hard or you know pumping my chest uh, with the product I've been giving you guys. I apologize, but I also appreciate you guys as we move on to the shouts uh, finally and Amazon uh, click-throughs because um, your guys' support um, means a lot. It's kept me going uh, through these weeks where it's just like, why the hell am I doing this job? <laughs> um, but I'm very grateful, obviously, for this job. Don't get me wrong. I just um, Again, without getting into it, you guys, listeners know that kind of my struggle with the space. Um, but yeah, um, you guys' kind words and reminding me, um, you know, uh, the things I do for you, the things I do well, uh, uh, the help that, that I can provide. And I appreciate that because for me, it's not about any sort of uh, fame or even these bullshit numbers that everybody strives for. It's For me, it's more just respect among my peers. And... Even though, quote unquote, listeners, and I hate the word fans. You guys are listeners. I'm not. I'm not good enough to have fans. Okay, <laughs> nor is my ego there. But like listeners, I still even consider you guys peers, even though by definition you are not, because uh, having your respect is also, uh, you know, very meaningful. So I appreciate you guys. Thank you to the guys like the MMA on the Rocks, Bill Worker, uh, MMA on the Rocks, Bill Welkers of the world. Another. You know, plenty of you guys inviting me on your shows, and I haven't. It's been so crazy. I have a roof on my house now, but I'm going on like month two without laundry. Um, it's just been insane. <sighs> it's been in bananas. So I've, I've I've barely been able to podcast here. I re- recorded my second time as I've been running off all podcast uh, last night, like I tweeted out. But um, I actually lost the whole thing. I edited it all, and GarageBand did one of those things where it wouldn't let you save. And when I reloaded it up, I clicked the wrong thing, and I lost it. Um, so I've been having a hard enough time doing my own podcast, much less others. Like I know Ed Gallo always hits me up, and I, I would have loved to have jumped on with a, a bunch of the. I can't have lost track. Hopefully, it doesn't end up being like you know my air quotes friends in real life, um, more like. I, I'm so, I got so busy with this beat that they got used to me saying no, and I can't so much. They just stopped asking you to hang out. And we all have gone through versions of that in life when, we, you know, if you're, you get a busy job or you're the first of your group to kind of grow up <laughs> in, into adulthood and not just stay busy with a job but, like, shit you should be doing outside of, you know, your job. Um, so hopefully these amazing people in podcasts don't uh, go the way of uh, air quotes friends, uh, but because uh, I... These are really good people and really good shows you should support. 
I just feel bad that I haven't been able to uh, support slash go on their show. So I wanted to make sure to give them a shout here. Obviously, I always give the, the fight site a shout. Um, I'll give some more individual shouts, uh, as I did with Fino or Ryan. Um, but uh, Bill Welker, good dude. Uh, go check out his show. Usually his co-host is uh, Jeff the Animal Wilson. I know Bill's been going solo, and uh, I, I talked to him about that. It's definitely under... It's, it was, it was comforting to hear another uh, MMA podcast host like talk about how hard it is to do these things solo. I'm like, yeah, see, it's not just my manic ass, you know, <laughs> jumping everywhere. It's uh, it's tough to do. Um, on the YouTube side, uh, Kenton Wong, even though he's uh, active on Twitter, uh, wanted to give him a shout, the YouTube and DM crowd. Uh, James Young, YouTube, uh, always, uh, always represented in them comics. Appreciate you, sir. Um, and uh, Richard Ricardo, Richard Reyna, at Richard underscore Reyna. Um, any donation you guys give uh, to this podcast, by the way, for the click-throughs, you go to MixedMartialAnalyst.com. That hosts us here program. On the right, you can find click-throughs on it, on it or Amazon. It's corporate. It sucks to use, but you can ease your conscience and support something you like uh, for a good cause, for no cost of your own, by just clicking through, going through your normal purchases as you would, and for no extra cost, not a single penny, a small percentage of your sale, will get kicked back and used to this here podcast. Um Richard did that recently. I wanted to thank him and thank all of you who have made donations. Again, really overly generous donations, to be honest, but uh, that's why I did that post at Dan Tom MMA showing you where just some of it goes. I know it's easy to say for all podcasts, so it goes into fees and stuff, and it does. And those things, believe me, they are real. Uh, the podcasts aren't bullshitting you when they say that. However, there are physical things that are more tangible and showable. And when I purchase those things, I want to make sure I show you guys what. Uh, any money to this free show does generate, does go to. It's very useful. And uh, I've always had the Blue Yeti mic, which I do genuinely recommend. Uh, when I was recommending it to Ryan on Twitter, I was not a paid plug. I wish I got paid, any kind of a paid plug. Um, I don't know. I might be doing some uh, Saturday Night Lifestyle commercials after seeing those Henton uh, things hit the... Uh... <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by Henton. Round Meal. Davis, I'll come to you. Uh, Jesus Christ. But no, this mic is uh, you know, this is really good, the Yeti Blue mic, so I finally got the Yeti Blue mic arm uh, to go with it. And then I also got this, like, shock mount thing that's, like, it's like the, the Scorsese steady cams for the <laughs> mic. I guess I can, you know, you know, I can write stuff down and, and, and maybe not jostle the recording as much. I saw Sean Sheehan. I think it's Sean Sheehan's birthday. Happy birthday, Shawnee Podcast. Go check out all his stuff at Severe MMA and otherwise. Uh, good dude there. Um, but yeah, it's like kind of like this dongle thing now that just hangs down in front of me that's just asking for Dan Tom to make very inappropriate jokes with. As if I don't already kind of do so with my suggestive microphone humor that I may or may not do sometimes. <laughs> the little Easter egg in the beginning of uh, <laughs> my free shows with Aaron. Hopefully Aaron's not listening to this. like, oh, Jesus, Dan Tom's going to get me in trouble. No, but... um. I'm just just doing a little Vanna White presentation of my mic and winking. That's all I'm doing. But uh, yeah, this thing's really cool uh, looking, I guess. Uh, but the, the mic arms works fine. So big shouts to you guys and appreciate you guys supporting this fucking madhouse of a show. <laughs> but just to let you know that the support does go uh, places. So uh, real quick, we'll read the Amazon reviews and we'll get to the recaps, which I'll try not to take super long on. Um all right, while well, I'm pulling up the uh, earnings report there, I've got to type in a password. But yeah, um, on it doesn't read, uh, doesn't give me a list of products, but Amazon does. But rest assured, 
um, like I say every week, if you want to uh, buy anything through this thing, um, it, it, it'll tell me what you bought, but it doesn't tell me like your address, your credit cards, your name, none of that. So you won't be outed on this here podcast, folks, if in fact you do want to, you know, you want to, you know, uh, have your one night in Bangkok, D- David Carradine style. You want to buy the karate, you want to buy the rope, the ball gag, whatever. I don't know what David was using, but you get what I'm saying. No, Dan, because we don't constantly make autoerotic asphyxiation jokes every podcast. I'm sorry, I'm just saying. You guys too can, uh, <laughs> you guys can do all that, and I won't, I won't out you there. Um, so, let's see. All right, I got it pulled up here. Sorry, I had to stop it and re-record. Um, cause I was taking too long to find it. All right. So yeah, again, if you, you purchase anything, it's not going to say who it is. I don't know if it was me saying I got no lady listenership and this is your way of telling me you're there, but I hear you. I got Tampax Pearl Tampons, super absorbency with leak guard braid. I'm just picturing something like a Mike Beltran mustache. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, there goes my lady listenership right as soon as they came. I'm sorry. Uh, listen. You know, I'm, I'm glad this podcast is about protecting things, so that's what's up. Thank you. All right, Callaway HX Soft Flight Practice. Practice golf balls, uh, foam-colored balls, orange. Um, you know what? Dan Tom used to always use the orange and yellow balls because I would always <laughs> hit it into the rough, and I'd be losing balls, and uh, I'm partially colorblind, so... <laughs> You know, getting something vibrant to stick out, the white was just, I would lose it way too easily. It would just turn gray in my vision or something. Um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, good on you. Thank you for getting that. I'm guessing you also got the Foot Joy Junior Golf Glove, white small. I used to have a, a, a Junior a Foot Joy Golf Glove, too. It was white. And even though it was white, I still called it the OJ Glove. I was golfing in the 90s as a kid, folks. Forgive me. And, um,. Yeah, man, and that's probably why I like the. That's probably why the FJs on FJ Cruisers stuck out to me so much because I was like, oh, "This is an FJ. It's a, it's that's what is that from? That's Foot Joy. That's what it's from." Thank you, for whoever bought that. Somebody also bought the Office box set. That wasn't cheap. Thank you very much. Um, someone also bought Tombstone. Uh, looks like regular DVD or is that Blu-ray? Either way, it's a it's a good choice. Little Doc Holiday action. That's a classic. Who doesn't who doesn't like them some tombstone right? Um, all right, more 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 ladies. Always radiant feminine pads for women. Size four, sixty count overnight. That's what's up. Um, thank you for the again. Hey man, hey all purchases help a lot and any support. So um, thank you for reminding me I've got the lady listenership representation. Uh, wow. Stocking up Tampax Pearl Tampons Regular Absorbency with Leak Guard Braid. Shouts to Mike Beltran. Uh, Jesus, damn. I'm sorry, folks. I've got the maturity of a nine-year-old. Don't let the fancy technique talk fool you. Friends box set. I don't know if that's the same person, but thank you. That that wasn't cheap either. Um, I try to be there for you, and it looks like you're there for me too. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, ah, another Fitbit. Fitbit. Charge for fitness and activity tracker with built-in GSP, built-in GPS, Dan. Your dyslexia is just acting up. Um, yeah, okay, that's cool. Asurion 3, I'm guessing you got the, ah, three-year, pro- thank you for getting the Fitbit and the three-year protection plan. That um, that definitely was uh, that definitely was helpful. 
I appreciate you thinking of the uh, Protect Your Neck podcast there. Um, Xbox wireless controller camo. I think someone bought one of these before. Um, does it? Can you play more stealth-like when you're using the camo controller? Dan, don't shit on people buying this stuff. I'm just kidding. I hope, you, hope your, your gameplay goes good. I'm more of a PlayStation guy myself, uh, even though I, I don't have one hooked up. Um, <laughs> trivia about my PlayStation that's like sitting up in my closet. Uh, technically, Dana White bought it back in the day for <laughs> security. And um, if you ever hear tell, Joe Rogan tell the story about they had Stone Temple Pilots play at this private ballroom at the Encore uh, when I actually was working security at that event. I made sure I got the door and traded positions. It wasn't out my post that night, but I knew what was going on. And out came a uh, very drunk Dana White, and uh, then below his shoulder line was uh, Lorenzo Fertitta. I'm like, oh, wow, this guy's shorter. And then there was a big gap, and then I was like, and then I had to look way down by the knee line. I'm like, oh, Joe Silva's down there. What's up, Joe? Uh, <laughs> Jesus, Dan. <laughs> and uh, Dana had like a blowhorn and uh, was started using it through the casino as he was walking to the VIP suite. Him and his wife were just plastered. And uh, it's like security didn't know who, who he was, uh, even though he's pretty popular, especially amongst Vegas, for being a good tipper. So they figured they should have known. But, like, they were going to go, like, treat him like some normal, like, you know, like, which I probably, in hindsight, it probably would have been funny. Um, but I, I, I intervened. I'm like, no, no, I got it. I got it. He's, he's cool. He's, he's staying in the, the VIP suite. I'm going to escort him there. He's just had too much to drink. <laughs> Dana just whips out this, like, he's like, hold on, hold on. And, you know, the guy was so drunk, I'd would I wasn't expecting the tip. It was just like, whatever. And he whips out a big fat thing of cash and then just, like, peels off a few hundreds. And I was like, I'm going to go buy a PlayStation with this because, like, my birthday was just in a couple days because I think he's, he's he's an August birthday too as well. But, like, so I was like, all right, birthday present from the big man. I'll take it. Um, I wonder if he's still a good tipper because he always was, you know, I... God forbid I say something good about Dana White, but in his, you know, if there's one thing I guess I could defend him on, it's, uh, he always was a good tipper as somebody who worked in the industry. I don't know why I got there. Uh, Xbox controller. Wow, someone got a Pro Series Eclipse bike rack. These things look cool. You strap it onto the back of your car. Are you guys using a road bike? Are you guys going Nate Diaz style with a mountain bike? Um let me know. That thing looks pretty cool. Thank you for purchasing that. Uh, again, that was through com. Sidetrack of random stupid story aside, I really appreciate your guys' support. All right, where the fuck are we? 26 minutes. Wow, Dan. That's, you know, 27. All right, so we had UFC Fight Night 27, UFC Fight Night 188, Font versus Garbrandt. Uh, in the house uh, went six and six with the slight asterisks, I guess, but I'll take it. Even though you guys knew that um, I did pick uh, my man Ronderos biasly, um, we'll get to that fight. Uh, I'm still proud of my guy there, but uh, Dvorak uh, should not be overlooked, um, and uh, hope to see him in some bigger matchups as well. So we'll go from top to bottom as we usually do. Um. Six and six in picks. I think I went 0 and 3 in straight plays. Oy vey. And then 1 in 1 in um, props. Or the props that I played. Um, I was wrong about the under here. Of this one going under. But the analysis otherwise I feel like was spot on. And Rob Font defeating Cody Garbrandt. Um, we talked about, you know, 
Fonts Jab and Lead Hand, and I talk a little bit about that in the uh, in the um, article I did. Of course, I included Fonts Five Rounds for Scarbrandt. I know Musasi was getting a lot of love, and especially Musasi's a, a performance against Latifi, which, off memory, I actually would probably rank his performance over Talis Leites over that. Um, just as far as that damage he was doing, I know it was three rounds and whatnot, uh, but. Latifi was stepping in there on short notice last minute, you know, for five, if you, if you remember. Whereas, you know, Cody Garbrandt, say what you will, is a former champ who was preparing for this fight, so on a full camp. So uh, I ranked this one higher, and as well as technically, too, what he was doing. Um, even though, you know, like Musasi and Latifi, even at times, you know, it would, would follow a bit, uh, probably more than the fighter would like, even if you asked them. Um, Font did do some really nice um, step-offs and corralling things in that nature. Uh, he also just really walked a fine line between just staying measured and disciplined while still staying suffocating. And there's a lot of different ways he does that. You know, um, He does his time march variations as well uh, for the leg kicks, which is something, again, that I believe I, I nailed pretty well and talked about. I'm even hearing other... Um, People now uh, referencing, you know, seeing some similarities between Font and Holloway, and I felt a little weird lobbying that out there, especially seeing what Holloway just did to his training partner, right? But uh, if, if you could see the context in which I explained last episode, um, I think you saw a lot of that come through as far as the way he was moving, fainting, pressuring, with uh, even when he wasn't striking, although he was consistently striking a lot. Not quite Max Holloway levels over five rounds, but the volume was... was you know, well above to get him the over the 100 significant strikes marks by even the third round, I think. Um, but uh, more so in the leg kicking department. Again, I d did highlight the potential leg kick uh, approach for Garbrandt, as that should be obvious for Font. But if you look at it, and, and Holloway actually has more leg kicks from a statistical standpoint landed on him even in the three round fights, right? Not if, if you say, well, Holloway's been in five round wars, that would make sense. Like, no, even in before he got to championship Holloway, like you look at the Ricardo Lamas fight, uh, for example, that's often cited. Like he, he ate a lot of leg kicks in that. But like I've always cited with the Holloway breakdowns and you see Rob Font do that here is that, yes, his stance makes him naturally available for it, uh, his pressure, uh, makes him naturally available for that amongst other types of counters as well. Um, however, uh, if you look, like, A, there's a kind of a natural durability that I think that, you know, you just, is luck of the draw there. Both guys seldom seem hurt, even in the matchups where, you know, guys that were, that were able to stay on leg kicks, which I told you, not just Garbrandt being Garbrandt, but most people in general implementing new things, it's hard for them to stick to it. And if they're used to being a low volume, if they're at a high volume, um, they may tire and uh, really just kind of get lost as the fight goes on. And we did see that. So I, I believe I was right on that in the Cody side. But back to the Holloway font side, um, we saw Cody hit the leg kicks early like I predicted and said to look out for. However, if you look what font does similar to Holloway and Holloway in that Llamas fight in particular is he's getting hit by it. But then he gets his read. And then when he does get hit by it, if he knows he's he's already too set in whatever motion he's doing. Um, he's got his one-two on a hair trigger to counter, right? Or if he's not too committed, he does the evasive step back and lets them miss, which Font was also doing. And third option, which neither do a lot, but when they do, it always catches my eye, is their kind of time march variations. 
as they kind of step shift, use it as kind of step shifts, if you will, to come forward and advance while still having uh, pre-measured checks and guards in place, right? So they have their hands up and they march forward with a kind of pronunciation to um, almost making 45 degree angles with the way their knee you know, their thigh and knee point outward and then drop off down and strong um, at a slight outward angle on the shin for a, for a potential check. So uh, a walking forward defense. And again, the one-twos, the stepping down one-two on a hair triggers also fall in line with that as well because they're stepping forward and coming forward. You can easily attach strikes and counters and checks. So uh, it's super, super effective and really proud of Font to see him do that. Uh, you know, happy for that team. Um, I know they were riding high into 2021 and then just took a just huge L from Holloway, right? But, you know, they come back, you know, Cater is in the corner supporting his guy. You'll love to see it. So real congrats to, to Font and the team there. Um, yeah, then we had Carla Esparza defeating Yan Zhao Nan. Was wrong about this one, but I don't mind being wrong. One, I, I do like Carla Esparza. She's gotten a lot of crap. Uh, some decisions didn't go her way. Close fights, granted. Uh, but, um, and then two, you know, even though, yeah, you know, <laughs> Asians could definitely use a win, especially since we really feel like we've been getting our asses kicked on every level <laughs> on AAIP, AAPI month of all month, Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Um, yeah. Pause, bookmark on that, but uh, but yeah, uh, no, it, this was good because if Yan won, and she could have deserved it obviously for her win streak, but she would have gotten pushed that title shot, and then it would have been just the same Rose BS the whole time. And I was seeing people probably should ought to know better <laughs> saying like it's like uh, you know, referring to it being as a win win, like for the anti commie stuff, and like Rose gets to do her anti commie stuff, and I'm like, yeah, or hateful speech rhetoric that's not just uh, hateful toward Asian people and, and generates uh, that, but also is anti-Semitic. And um, now my Jewish brothers and sisters are feeling residual over shit that has nothing to do with them as well, which we'll talk about here in one of the listener questions and comments. Um, yeah, yeah, there's that. I guess that's a win-win. <laughs> Anyways, um, but uh, but like, but yeah, so that would have sucked. Um, and by the way, I really, even though, um, you know, Zang Gang and all that. I've, you know, I got love for Wei Lee still. I'm not just, you know, gonna be fickle and uh, jump on or off, but I still gotta, you know, break things down bias or un unbiasedly as I can, right? Um, and uh, I don't think she deserves the rematch. You know, um, I don't want her to have the rematch either. So on either of those levels, um, so I do hope Carla Esparza gets it. I do. I think Carla Esparza can beat Rose. No, Rose is a fantastic fighter and. That's another reason why you should be happy for this because this should be a matchup uh, unless Rose is completely off the wall and is in now into the, like this weird like BJ Penn mode where you have to find things to hate your opponents. Um, it should be relatively about their fighting styles and their rematch and the narrative that exists, which is awesome to get back to both as from a purity standpoint and if you are are a Rose fan, then you should be embracing that because even me... Uh, not that I've never denied this, but yes, just because I take jabs at somebody. No, she, she, she's a, re a really good fighter, a great fighter. Um, I would never, I never have denied that, and I'm not. Uh, in fact, in that jabs article, I even plug her striking coach's YouTube page uh, that he's trying to build. 
because uh, as usual, Dan Tom just does nice things and tries to give credit where credit's fucking due. And even though I have the right to say the shit and take the shots that I do have against anybody, much less Rose, who projects hateful rhetoric, uh, that doesn't mean I discount all the other shit. Uh, or, like, write off the people they work with. Like, they're all very talented and deserve shout and shine, and I give them that through my work. Um, so if any of my little jabs offends anybody, trust me, it's fair. It's more than fair. So hopefully Carlos Barza, in the sense of fairness, can get uh, another shot at the title. Not that I think she'll win that, but I think she deserves it. And we can focus on fighting, huh? Yeah, how about that? All right, Jared Van... Ayavendera, give me sight beyond sight. Uh, or give me stamina beyond stamina, despite losing massive amounts of blood, and despite my jujitsu black belt, I will now become a distance kickboxer for three rounds against Justin. Oh, I love Taffy. Taffa. <laughs> Jesus, Dan. Um, I picked Taffa here, but this was a big-time avoid, as you can see why. Good on Vandera, man. Happy for him and uh, heavyweight folks. Um, Norma Dumont defeated Felicia Spencer. She did not fall apart like Dupont. In fact, she won the wrestling. Um, wow, Foxcatcher reference, Dan, really. I got to keep my 90 stick alive. Um, and uh, Felicia Spencer, I really thought I, 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 I lost big on this one. Uh, I laid the chalk on Felicia. Um, Actually, no, I, I laid her in a parlay, I think. She didn't get low enough for me to lay the chalk, but I might as well have because what I laid in the parlay, which was a stupid two-piecer. First leg hit, second leg did not, and that was Felicia Spencer. Um, You know, shouts to uh, Aaron Bronstetter. I feel like the interviews helped the week before, and like I said, you should never all listen to interviews, and <laughs> the both things I cited were wrong. One was Carlos Barza's trying to go for a finish, and not seeing her finishing capability and sh her trying to show it recently with losing position going for leg locks, I was like, that's not a good idea. No, she actually meant it. Whereas um, Felicia Spencer, you know, I thought maybe the time off was good, changing up the striking coach because she had her, you know, she was really just stuck with her traditional Taekwondo roots and it really wasn't getting her anywhere. She was just getting boxed up. I'm like, that's a good thing, right? Not really because she still was incorporating the Taekwondo-y stuff, but um, shout out to the Heavy Hands podcast. Uh, but another reason though I try to if I do listen to uh, you know analysts or analyst based podcasts I try to do it after my podcast because it bleeds in like it will here and uh, I agree with them though like they, they talk about you know fighters trying to get air quotes technical um, and that's what happened to Felicia Spencer here um, you, you could totally see it you know she forgot about her takedowns she forgot about her game and that she at heart is like she, she it doesn't have to be pretty she she's supposed to be the Diego Sanchez of the, that division that will get her far in that in, in late being Diego San having Diego Sanchez's game in the, in, the, in the ladies divisions will actually get you really far. Um, and not only got Diego a bunch of decisions that he shouldn't have gotten his prime, uh, but uh, it just worked with his game. And whatever Felicia did to change did not work with her game. And Dumont, uh, on the other hand, um, has been working on her game. So good on her. I didn't watch a lot of these fights. I can't remember why. Again, with um, all of the craziness from breaking up dog fights, laundry, getting scammed by dog trainers, losing roofs, all the fun stuff going on here outside of it. Um, I, I forget what the hell I was pulled away from, but I didn't watch a lot of these. So if my technical analysis seems light um, through this middle of the card, I apologize. Ricardo Ramos defeated Bill Algeo. I laid the chalk on Algeo, and I barely watched this fight as well. Um, 
Ricardo Ramos, it felt like a very, what I remember is it felt like a very Jackson Wink performance from Ricardo Ramos. Like he was doing the spinning stuff. Um, he was like, you know, annoying Algio at range. And then he was doing like late round takedowns, right? Like it was, it was like the Jackson Wink 101 performance. Like I feel like, I feel like uh, Winkle John was just, you know, you know, rock hard. And, and Greg, Greg had a tear in his eye watching that, you know. I know Ricardo Ramos is team alpha male fighter. I'm just saying that the... You know, whether that team reaching out to CSA, they had Mark Henry coming in for Garbrandt. It's it's like they're just reaching out for they're just trying to plug holes in a ship since since the um you know, since the uh loss of uh Ludwig there and uh, you know, Buckholtz, you know. I know he's a edgy dude, but you know, he's done some good things there, but then he he, he you know, even he, you know, obviously not there anymore. Uh, my man Chris Holdsworth doesn't get enough credit, so I, I'm not trying to shit on them. It just seems like, you know, I don't know what's going on there. It's hard, it's hard to know what the hell you're going to get. Looks like they're just taking things that work for other teams and implementing it there because they have facilities and athletes, so why not? Um, you got the Chinese people going over there. It's it's craziness. Um, Jack Hermanson defeated Edmund Shabazian. 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 Pennsylvania. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's Armenian, Dan. He's from L.A. Relax. Uh, yeah, but this was a pretty predictable one, right? It was Shabazian early, unless Jack caught a guillotine. Or Hermanson was going to grind him late, and that's what happened. Good on Jack Hermanson, who... Um, I know it's a German actor who played, was an Inglorious Bastards, who was Maximilian's father in the scene in the tavern. But uh, he's in an Army of the Dead, and it, I know he doesn't have a beard like Jack did in this fight, but... Um, his role was more made the movie a bit more enjoyable if you pretend it's Jack Hermanson. I will say from my, my own experience. Um, so good on Jack. He's a good dude. Seems like a really good dude. Ben, Big Ben Rothwell defeated Chris Barnett. History repeats itself, folks. Um, no, I, yeah, I took the low-hanging fruit with the Barnett jokes online. But um, and a lot of you, thank you, uh, were giving me props for calling this one pretty much exactly how it was going to go down. But aside from me, like, not being good at taking compliments, I also got to just, like, tell you that, like, you know, it's hard to take a compliment for this one because this wasn't the hardest fight to predict. So, um, so yeah. But, hey, that that plus whatever, six, seven, what it's nine, whatever you got, he's got it for it, it cash. So hopefully you were able to cash that. That's a submission prop that hit for me. That was nice. Um, Court McGee defeated Claudio Silva. New level. No, no new level, Claudio. Hannibal. Yeah, no, not anymore, Hannibal. Um, against Court McGee, again, these grinders, man, even though they look like twice their age when they're in their prime, uh, when they get in, and they get older, you feel like, okay, now for sure you fade them. Mm, they, they, that grinding style still ages better than a guy who relies on opportunism and athleticism like Claudio Silva. I should have known better. Shouts to my man Brad for trying to warn me. But um, I still have to sprinkle on Claudio for the line value of where his opening was and because, again... I told you guys it's what I was looking at, so I felt semi-obligated. It wasn't a huge loss, but still, I feel bad because uh, it was a play uh, and uh, and a pick nonetheless. So apologies for that one. Good on court. You know, who would have known that his uh, elderly neighbor would have inspired him to victory after all this time? These are the intangibles that you have to worry about as an MMA gambler, which is why I haven't been too confident to tell any of my sharp people to play anything this year because it, it feels like... We're pulling, starting to pull out of it, hopefully, by the end of the year, but we're still in this phase where it's like, this is just insane. I mean, it's more volatile than MMA already is. It just feels like we're throwing our money away. <laughs> 
So be careful out there. Bruno Silva was an easy cash, although for big chalk uh, against Victor Rodriguez. Shout out to my man, Vic Rodriguez from Bloody Elbow. Uh, this was not him, thankfully, uh, that took that KO loss. But uh, Bruno Silva, man, good to, good to see him come through after a rough start and some tough fights. David Dvorak defeated Juan Camilo Ronderos. Obviously, this was a biased pick, but I'm still proud of Juan Camilo who is now in the UFC and made a good account for himself despite taking the fight on 24 hours notice. Hit him, Dvorak with some southpaw hooks, but as soon as he got rocked, um, he kind of didn't know where he was, woke up in the choke kind of a deal. Um, and uh, I guess my only issue, and I, yeah, I, I'm biased, so I'm going to be more sensitive and yada, 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 but still, I felt like, and maybe it was because, I don't know, for the way Bisping was framing it on the broadcast, and again, I like Bisping, I just, you know, calling for what I see. Um, it was very like kind of like ah oh, this guy Dvorak was so much better than than Juan Camilo he finished him with one hand and one thing has nothing to do with the other um, for one obviously he was better than him on the night and on paper he's better than him because he's got like three times the amount of fucking experience Juan Camilo he's been training for over a decade you know I, the kid you know walked into my first jujitsu his first jujitsu classes. Uh, beginner classes with the, uh, that I was teaching and covering at the time. I mean, you know, um, yeah, Dvorak's going to be better on paper, um, especially when the dude who is at least experienced on paper takes the fight on 24-hour notice. So, A, you're kind of stating the fucking obvious, and B, you're stating the obvious, uh, and it's kind of, I don't know, lazy, uneducated, but analysis too, because you're not giving credit to the guy who should be getting credit, which is Dvorak, it almost takes away credit from him and the technique that he's using, which is a fucking awesome technique that is making its way to be more popularized. Uh, and something that I worked really hard, I'm going to be working really hard to put in my game was one of the main things I was focusing on in the training that I did get done last year um, in my uh, closed circle, um, which was uh, arm trapping setups for one arm finishes that work, oddly enough, work a lot better no gi than they do in the gi. Both the traps. Um, and the finishing, um, the one-arm finish. And it's a different type of motion, but once you get it, it's a very... I like it a lot. It works a lot for my muscle uh, groupings and how I work and my tension strength. So um, it's a very technical move. And um, Dvorak did not incorporate the arm trapping into that. He kind of just clamped on. Uh, it did a rear clamp from a, you know, a single leg with one boot in, so to speak, and rolled with him. Um, because he didn't really need to. He, again, which makes sense with if Juan was as rocked as he said, he was so deep under the chin, he had such a good grip that the finish was kind of inevitable. That's why Dvorak didn't stress getting the second hook in, much less trapping the arm, um, and was able to just get a controlled finish um, with the hand on the wrist so he couldn't two-on-one him and um, and kind of close him off from there, you know. Uh, and if he was able to break free, then he can have, you know, Juan Camilo would have had a two-on-one, but then it would have been a race to the finish because Dvorak's already deep enough where he can actually insert the second arm for a traditional finish. So Juan Camilo was kind of dead to rights, even if he was of mine, since Dvorak was able to get that deep in the first place, in other words. So my dumbass will go ahead and break that technique down for you because it was not done on the broadcast. Instead, with, with that and then the timeline was, this guy sucks so bad he got one arm choked. That's what the narrative turned into, which is like, instead of Dvorak super technical and he fought a guy with way less experience at 24-hour notice, let's get Dvorak a big spot next. That should be the narrative coming out. So good on Dvorak, and I hope he gets a big spot next.
Josh Koulibau, uh defeated Shailan. Um, good on Josh Koulibau, man. Uh, definitely deserved one. Seems like a really nice dude. I, I hate making the Chossie Bao jokes. I just had Chossie Bao yesterday. And if you look at my ass, I've had way too much Chossie Bao, whereas Koulibau deserves some handsome brother in shape. Um, doing some doing some Asian things, getting things done. Granted, it's an Asian and Asian crime, but, you know, he's still got to win. <laughs> good on Josh Koulibau, man. Uh, I appreciate him and his game. Uh, Demir, Ismagulov? I don't know, dude. Look in the mirror. Defeated Rafael Alves. This was great because Ismagulov was, like, overrated and already, and then this was, like, a really bad performance from him, and he was still able to jab up Rafael Alves and win. And I, I stayed away from this fight and picked Ismagulov, but this Rafael Alves showed such bad fight IQ, and I already knew he was a guy who dropped for guillotines, folks. Like, his game wasn't a surprise to me. I didn't have a dog in this fight. This is how bad his fight IQ was. I felt like I bet a fucking huge parlay that was hinging on Rafael Alves winning. Like, that's what you would have thought with the level of frustration that was coming out of me watching the decisions that he was making in this fight over and over again. And the chances from rounds one to round three that he had to win the fight. It was just so goddamn frustrating. Um, and then it was extra frustrating to see people not understand again. After someone tweeted it out, like, it's amazing how basic wrestling stuff done right still, um, you know, messes with people. And, um, and yeah, like, it was a, it was a Gramby roll. Sorry, one second. Sorry, folks, for the interruption. This is my life. Constant fucking interruption with the dogs and fucking. Just anybody out there that that takes care of their family and has to take care of anyone who's handicapped and elderly and all these things. It's just, it's really. You never get a day off. Sorry. Yeah, people don't know what a fucking Gramby roll is, so that was funny. And because people don't know what a Gramby roll is or a bad fight IQ is. Um, and the dude lost, like, it, we're, you're probably going to get a good line on Rafael Alves. Fade the fuck out of him next time he fights, depending on the matchup, because it, I don't know. I've never seen a guy get so hyped from a loss, much less such a bad IQ loss, because nobody knows what a fucking Granby roll is. It's fucking amazing. Um, anyways, yeah. So that's, that's, that's the card. Uh, let's try to keep this under an hour, maybe not. Wow, that's a good attitude, good mood to go into these questions. Um, all right. Um, next question or comment comes from... This was one on, on the YouTube channel. Again, I shouted people out from the YouTube there. But uh, this one comes from... Moist Penguin. I would read. Considering you went on several long tangents about Asian hate crime, I better hear at least one mention of the many attacks slash hate crimes on Jews in the U.S. this week. Disgusting how media is basically ignoring it. Um, I replied to him, even though, I don't know if he acknowledged it, if he was the person who liked that. And of course, his likes get out ratio by mine. So that's, you know. But, you know, I, I don't disagree with him, despite even though I don't feel it's the more, most fair shot to take. Um, because, A, um... I was going to mention it last week. Not so much, admittedly, because I was ignorant on it. I had to see... It was just like a, a week and a half ago. I had to see my... Um, another one of my Jewish brothers, Agent Ben 10, 
one of the many Jewish co-hosts on this show, uh, by the way, Moist Penguin, but hey, uh, he, uh, telling me about an incident with his wife, someone shouting at her because these fucking piece of shit incels um, that target innocent people, uh, and targeting innocent people or groups, you know, isn't enough, but you got to attack the women. You know, that's, that's again, um, that's something that I pointed out to, uh, which was why it was problematic with uh, just the, what, you know, the, the espousal, uh, the hateful rhetoric Rose was espousing. Um, and then seeing it reverberate, like, you know, again, even well-meaning stuff, like I just pointed out with the broadcast, broadcasters I love who are more than qualified than me and so many others and do a great job. But even then, even them to unwittingly can um, fuel this ruthless um, audience that is the MMA audience, right? And much less the online audience as ruthless enough as that is, right? So, um, so yeah, um, uh that part is saddening, but I would, and I'm not saying this is a point of pride. Again, folks, I don't wish I was right. I wish I was right on the picks, which I've been doing shit at lately, um, as opposed to being right on this stuff. But in my defense, those tangents were A, not that we should be splitting hairs on what's worse and what's not. Atrocities are atrocities, right, when we're talking about certain things. And when in, in relation to this, uh, I shouldn't split hairs as far as what's relative to MMA and what's not. Um, but I will say in my defense that those ta multiple tangents were at least connected. You know, again, mentioning Rose, Wei Li, um, you know, people that would defend this are, are all super pro UFC and Dana White, but Dana White is arguably making it more political than anybody by going on all these political shows and at the very least allowing, if not putting his hand in curating certain narratives, promoting certain fighters, uh, etc. So I feel that me speaking out on it is more than fair and more than relevant. Not that I'm saying this is not, uh, and I will explain why it's relevant to me and why I was going to make time to talk about what's going on in Palestine uh, and Israel um, on my show last week that I didn't. It wasn't just because that I am trying to, again, like I said, folks, not, not stick to sports, but I am trying to get this show back into a fun place, not just for you, but for me as well. I mean, I got, I'm the one that's got to do this, right? I don't got a co-host. I don't got a producer. I don't got any of that shit, right? Like, I'm trying to make it more fun for everybody and get back to doing what the show is service to do. But when this shit come across my face and is made relevant like the Asian quote-unquote stuff was, which, by the way, I was right for, um, UFC, even though they've done really bad jobs like with the Chandler piece, that wasn't their... They've been doing it for a long time, black history, black athletes celebrating. Um, in more recent years, which makes sense considering the initial money that they put into their Latin America development. Um, they did really good about having that representation for the Hispanic Heritage Months here in the U.S., abroad, highlighting their athletes abroad for it as well. Not a word, folks. It's the end. This is the 28th I'm recording this. Not a word. Not a goddamn word from the UFC. Not even from one FC. I, I, I didn't... Maybe they, they changed, but I think like around the 20th or so, I went back like 20 days... Nothing. And I think it was like Jack Slack who jokes like, yeah, they're an Asian thing, but like the Asian American Pacific Islander, you, 
it's really tricky because like what is it only Americans that are Asians and Pacific Islanders that are Americans well they attach the word heritage although it's officially a part of the title but not officially a part of the hash tag slash acronym which is what makes it really confusing and back to my Kakuno point uh, in defense of the people who you know take things from Asians and don't credit them we're not very good at advertising things for ourselves let's be honest um but no, it it actually uh, you can actually extend it to heritage or peoples, you know, of across the pond, it's ponds, uh, you know, bodies of water, if you will. Um, and I believe it was Jack Slack who jokes that even though they're Asian corporation, they they fish they fish Asians, um, Asian Americans out of American gems has kind of been their quiet shtick um, when they're not, you know, pulling guys like Rod Tang for their kickboxing side, right? Um, not a damn word. Uh, I think even like PFL even like wished everybody like and I, I I apologize I'm not familiar with this holiday is it a, is it a Muslim holiday I'm not sure but like they wish everybody like a happy Eddie Murbach or whatever and like and I'm and nothing wrong with that uh, I, I'm if anybody wants to uh, get at me at Dan Tom and educate me on that holiday that's fine I'm not coming at the holiday the point is at least from Western audiences which is mixed martial arts, or at least these mixed martial arts companies, right? These are North American companies. I'm not saying obscure, obviously, because by numbers, you know, Arabs, Muslims, Asians, we're talking about uh, all, all these different things. There's mass numbers there, obviously. I'm not trying to be, I'm ignorant, but I'm not trying to be that ignorant, right? I guess is what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying from a Western perspective, a Western sport broadcast, that would be considered something more obscure and off the radar, and even that was getting love. Like, no martial arts company gave the Asian stuff love. So, in my defense, it was relevant, what I was saying. And in my defense, I was also proven right, sadly. I wish I wasn't. I was also proven right, sadly, with what I was saying. Um, and now, like, you know, with media knowing what things click, you know... Um, anything Chinese, you know, you're going to see in the comment, Oh, fucking the Chinese again! <laughs> You know, so it's like we're just we're, we're we're back there, and that's what it is. And yes, the Chinese government sucks, but can we just not maybe target Chinese people uh, for how they look? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. That's not a big ask. And so I would say the same thing. You know, I agree with you, Moist Penguin. Um, and I would say the same thing for any Jews being attacked in the U.S. or abroad, let's be honest, because um, I, I've seen these now that I've been aware of this. I, 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 it's happening more than just in the U.S., which, again, is not new for the Jewish people. They, throughout history and different, many different geographies of the world, um, have ended up getting blamed for shit. Um, sadly, that's not new hat for them, and it's fucking wrong. New, new or old, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's wrong. Um, because there's... You know, and I was educated on this through both my experience with Jewish friends, that an Israeli Jew is much different than a more, let's just say, Americanized Jew, okay? Um, so to lump one in with the other is unfair. And even further so, to even lump all Israeli Jews together is unfair because I've seen many Israeli Jews speaking out against what their government is doing to Palestine as it is wrong. It's a fucking war crime. Um, and... So I, I, and I have kept that same energy, um, and uh, I've, even though I've always, you know, not just having, you know, more Jewish representation on this podcast than any others, you know, cut me some slack, Moise, or, or you know, 
participating in plays like Fiddler on the Roof to immerse myself in Jewish culture as a child, growing up with Jewish family and friends. Um, you, you know, and I agree with what you're saying in the media ignoring it, but you're kind of making my point. This has been my point for all situations and all peoples that have gone through this. And for the, whether it's the Jewish thing or whether it's the media thing, you can say a bunch of bad things about me, and most of which I will own up to. But I think me and the people listening to this podcast, because you're probably barking off the wrong tree if you're trying to lump Dan Tom in with regular media, or <laughs> you're trying to say that Dan Tom is insensitive toward another race, much less a race that he represents more than any others in this fucking space. Aside from the Jewish people that are in this space that have their own platforms, obviously. So I would say that your intentions are fine. I appreciate your comment. Um... I don't even disagree with what you're saying, but I it's hard to tell with writing. I hope it's not coming at me. And for anybody liking his and not liking my response, which was moist, I honestly feel bad for forgetting to mention it, as well as tell a story about how I became aware of what is going on over there, as well as recommend one of my favorite foreign slash Palestinian films, which I'm about to do, folks. In my defense, I have kept that same energy in regards to what I share on my socials via Twitter, which I have, by the way. Um... But we'll definitely make up for this on the next episode, which I'm doing now. Apologies and appreciate you listening, my friend. And of course, no response to that. I love, again, people can throw hate, but they can't acknowledge what you... Even though most people, like, you know... I doubt the Luke Thomases of the world. Well, maybe he's kind of got that Paul Felder thing where... And I, 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 you know, I'm not taking shots at either of those guys. I like both those guys, folks. I'm just saying, like you're going to get a better chance of them responding to you if you say something negative than positive. I don't know why. It's just it is the way it is with them. But still, like I I still feel like, feel like you know, this is ground level enough because there's not enough listeners. We're like, I'll actually respond to your stuff. So, um, yeah, anyways, hopefully uh, that's suffice. But, yeah, um, from not just from the Jewish side of things, but also from the other side, you know, when 20 years ago was 2001, 9-11 just happened, and I was in high school, and... I remember that even though social media and technology wasn't like as big as it was now, as far as sharing and stories, I still felt like it was just as prevalent of stories that I was hearing on the radio or otherwise of Muslims or people that look Muslim or Arabs getting attacked um, on U.S. soil everywhere, like just hate crimes left and right. Like the stuff you're hearing, you know, that Asians are going through and Jews are going through right now. And I remember this kid, Muhammad, who was from Palestine, not from Pakistan. And, you know, I remember no one would talk to him, and I'm, I'm just so curious, right? And, like, I would talk to the Chinese kid. I would talk to the Indian kid, and I would learn things. Like, that's just kind of how I was. And he would educate me on, like, Pakistan relations with India and Muslim religion. And, like, you know, he's like, we're not all jihadists, you know, we're not all terrorists. He's like... I, I'm, we're, you know, we're very Muslim, my family, and, like, you know, we do things that would make you Americans probably beat an eye, like, explaining me some rituals with cattle and certain things, and, you know, he's like, yes, we, we do certain things like that, sure, uh, uh, but we're not, you know, jihad, we're not, to, we're, we want to live a good life, we just want to do this, and that. We're, we're people, and it was sad that people couldn't see that, and I felt really bad for him, then, a couple years later, still a lot of that sentiment going on, I'm now in college, I find myself in a class with a friend named Omar, who is from Palestine. And I become friends with Omar, and he's a very nice guy. And I just found it crazy. You know, he, he educated and enlightened me on his experiences growing up, on what it's like to lose count of how many cousins and aunts and uncles and family that 
you've lost just within your short lifetime of 20 years old or however old he was was we were in college and you know explaining to me that you know again yes we're this religion or we're this this but we're that we're not you know fanatical we're not this we're not that we just you know we just came here for a better life and explaining how unfair and how crazy it was over there and to hear that perspective that is not represented in the media to moist penguin's point um even though that might not have been a specific point i think he was talking about more about domesticated jews being attacked in the u.s the point is you're not getting the fair shake from the media and you know, I, I watched this film that I believe that year, 2003, 2004, one best foreign film. I recommend you guys get a cop, uh, your hands on it. If I was able to get a hard copy on it then, imagine you can get a, a digital or hard copy of it now called Paradise Now. It's very good because they shot it on site. Um, crew members died while filming it because that's what the risk you run there. And you can see that, like, Israel looks like the nicest part of L.A. And then just over the wall, it's like pure ghettos. I mean, it's it's... I mean, just the sight of it would, would, would you know, uh, like, you know, make me grit my teeth with a chip on my shoulder falls on that poor side, just having to look at that, much less the things those people have to live through. And Paradise Now is a great film because it's two brothers who, Palestinian brothers, Muslim, and they follow the the religion and their car mechanics. I think one just starts talking to a girl, like they, they really just want to live their life, but their number gets called to, by the radicals and fanaticals, um, in the area to, um, you know, to, to go to religiously war and to strap a bomb on them. And, you know, and it's about their kind of their last day of life before they tasked to do this thing and uh, showing their struggles with it because they're human beings. And I won't spoil to tell you if one, none, both other brothers go through with it or not. Uh, I'll let you watch it for yourself. But it's, it's very humanizing film. And I think that's the key here, whether we're talking about Israel-Palestine, how Jews are treated here, um, the difference between a Chinese person uh, under the Chinese rule of government to the Chinese government themselves, to Asians that have nothing to do with it on different continents. I think the common thread with all these things, uh, police brutality, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement from something that really has just been going on way longer, for way too long already, I think the common thread is just maybe just some fucking treating people like human beings and some empathy or some compassion, if not empathy, if that's too draining, right? I don't think that's a lot to ask. I think I've kept that same energy. I think I've, that's all I've said. It's very simple. You don't need someone like me preaching that to you guys. But I did want to address this, kind of close off the last and use it as an excuse to kind of close off the last of not this talk, because sadly it will come up and sadly you know, um, and I'm not the type to just ignore things that are wrong. But uh, I again, I am also trying to move this podcast back into a fun place where, where where it is. And I just felt like addressing this comment and question was important and a good way to spark off the end of uh, AAPI month. <laughs> so you don't have to hear me talk about it anymore. As not like you had to hear much people talk about it anyways. Hell, even the LA fucking PD. Was giving awareness for API month. The LA fucking PD, folks. But mixed martial arts, nothing. LA, you heard it here. LAPD, more racially aware and sensitive than the mixed martial arts scene. If that's not enough to fucking make the point, I don't know what is. So, uh, All right, next question is martial arts related from Matt Joya. 
um, at Matt underscore Joya. Uh, that is um, G I O. I gotta find this now. I'm gonna fuck it up. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, yeah, there we go. Leo Santos Stan on Twitter at G. Oh, Joyo Plata, at G-I-O-I-A Plata, P-L-A-T-A, if you want to find him on Twitter, but it's Matt Joya. Um, he wanted to know, like, what uh, most underrated guard passers are, and then we joked. I'm like, keyword there is underrated, right? And he's like, yeah, otherwise it's Maya. And I threw also my other guy, Lovato Jr., into the hat, but both those guys, A, aren't underrated in MMA or in grappling, where their credentials land and they come from. And B, aside from... Maya fighting Bilal Muhammad, they're both pretty much done with MMA, right? Wishing Lovato the best with whatever is going on with his brain. I know he's still grappling. But, um, but yeah, uh, so underrated is really tough because, <clears throat> um, like somebody said, uh, here, I'll pull it up. Uh, Nogi underscore Andrew, I call Khabib underrated guard passing wise simply because even other fighters, Gaethje, Dustin, think he's just wrestling. I don't know about that last part or citing the Gaethje and Justin, um, but I will just say I stopped, and I appreciate that. I'm not trying to shit on you, Andrew. I know you, Andrew. I appreciate you uh, listening and contributing, but um, I I stopped listening, quote-unquote, when I I saw Khabib and the word underrated next to each other because I'm like, uh, Khabib is, nothing is underrated about him, like, Khabib could walk to the edge of the stage of MMA fans and like reach toward a zipper, and they're they're just gonna rush toward him like holding up Dixie cups trying to catch whatever comes out of Khabib. Like they, everybody's just on his nuts. Like it's I don't so that immediately disqualifies him. And two, his role in the progression of of the meta of just not just passing but allowing people to think they're they are. Um, it's not even needing to pass, letting you know, letting someone move under you <laughs> and try to escape to where they think they're advancing, but they're really just helping you advance more and capitalizing on his own version of that meta. Again, um, I reshared on Twitter um, top five Matt wrestlers in MMA with Ryan Regner. Carry, we cover a lot of those progressions there. Um, but yeah, so I wouldn't say he's underrated. Uh, so what I did tell Matt is it's really tough to answer, and I don't know if I was going to come up with anybody. Spoiler alert, I haven't. But I would give away two guard passing, underrated guard passes or passing positions that come up all the time because they're very common in grappling and MMA, but they come up all the time in MMA and they're seemingly underutilized. Um, First is a push down the knee pass to mount from half guard. Um, Now I know that going to mount is not necessarily wanted these, uh, depending on what school of thought or your style, and I completely agree with that, by the way. But what I'm talking about is top half guard. It's just such a common position where, uh, luckily I was Neil Melanson trained, so I was screaming at the TVs back in 2010 for pros to be doing more shoulder pressure and using more wrist control, which doesn't come into handy in the half guard, the wrist control part, but just the point being. Now over time, we've seen fighters finally start to catch on to that. They're, seeing them apply shoulder pressure isn't as com- is a lot more common, thankfully, as it should be. Um, and risk control, even though people aren't aware, it, it is it has developed. It's the quiet, unsung hero in so much stuff, not just in grappling, but even counter grappling, as we see from Robert Whitaker to Max Holloway's takedown defense. Um, so, when you're in half guard, now I will see more people opt for shoulder pressure, but not enough people do it, in my opinion. Um, I think that's because there's a lot of 
from basic jujitsu to old school basic MMA training that if you're in half guard, you want far side underhook. And then how that pairs with basic MMA is that you want the far side underhook because then you can use your near side forearm to manipulate where they look and do those short forearm smashes, right? If you're in professional MMA, you can't do those in amateur. Um, so I think that's where a lot of that theory comes from. And I'm not going to challenge underhook theories, but I would prefer a shoulder pressure there instead. And not just a shoulder pressure on that near side. It's shoulder pressure making them face away from you because that encourages their one escape and their one move, which is to give their back. Uh, right? That's the progression that Damian Maya has. That's why Damian Maya says when he has you in half guard, he already has your back because he understands these things. He's Damian fucking Maya. And these are fundamentals, what the Damien fucking Mayas of the world coincidentally slash not so coincidentally focus on, right? Um, so shoulder pressure, still not done enough, but done more. Uh, and But you got to do it. You got to do it properly pointing away. And what that also does is it can feed into a head and arm threat. And even if you don't want the head and arm choke, which is a great low risk thing, you still can get side control, can still jump back to a mount. They turn away, you follow them, you could take their back or just go single leg boot ride. I mean, it's it's a great submission that you're not giving a lot from if you can control your squeeze and not gas out, right? If you know your technique to either finish or know when you don't have the finish. Um, but even if you don't want the head and arm, uh, it's I don't see it threatened enough to open up that push down to the knee pass. Even when fighters are smart enough to not just look for the push down in the knee pass, that's what they want, and they've even got the shoulder pressure to help them, which kind of should be enough. Sometimes it isn't. That's why you need the um, head and arm threat because even with the shoulder pressure, especially at the pro levels, it's pain. People know what it is. Uh, they should know what it is and what you're you're trying to do to them, and they should be able to just take it and keep calm and worry about solving the real problems at hand. And when it comes to solving problems, it's easy to solve one-for-one one problems, you know. Whether I'm top half with shoulder pressure or not, uh, I'm, I'm top half and I want to push down your knee and I deliberately go to push down your knee to push them out. It's real easy for the person to go one-to-one -one on problem solving and go, they're trying to push down my knee. Here, let me grab their wrist, strip it upward as I reposition and slide my hip back out to get a more of a deeper half guard from the bottom and secure and work from there, right? Very simple to do. Um, even just if all they want to do is stymie. It's, it's very simple. Um, they should want and should be able to do more, but that's not your problem. Your problem is them stymieing you, right? Uh, so what you have to do is basic misdirection. It's like magician shit, right? It, it works really well for something as practical as grappling. And I, if I want something low, I want them to focus high. If I'm on top half and I want to drop back for a heel hook and I have positioning, I don't want to let them know that I have or I'm close to having that positioning. I'm going to drive my head at pressure in. I'm going to start creating some grip fodder up high and giving them a problem to solve. And then I'm going to drop back. Or for this, I'm going to, if I'm top half shoulder pressure, I'm going to threaten that head and arm choke. Like, oh, I want this submission. You better get your arm out and you have that have that have that problem to focus, but really what I want is down below. I'm really pushing the pass to a mount. Now I can come up and punch, get in head and you know, and then, then they'll give me head and arms and arm bars at that point, right? Um, you know, when you're raining down on someone from mount, if you have a good mount, that is. So it's just something really basic, but like you see a lot of, and again, these guys wouldn't be underrated grapplers because you see a lot of Nova and Yao cats do it, um, as well as not just like, you know, Brazilians like Maya, but like Nova and Yao, I notice is a camp that does it from like even like the Hakran Diaz's or to the Yon Cabral's. But even those guys, I, I wouldn't say 
are incredibly underrated. Ocran was just could, could, could be incredibly negative as his career went. And then Jan didn't last long, but Jan Cabral was like a credentialed BJJ black belt at his accolades outside of MMA. So, yeah, I had him having good guard passing wasn't the craziest thing in the world, was it, right? So I don't know who to say for underrated, uh, but that's definitely an underrated position. Another one, uh, speaking of Rafael Lovato Jr., um, since, he, you know, th those are the two guard passers cited in the start of this conversation, um, you could go look at Rafael Lovato Jr. on YouTube and go type in home base. And that's where I get this from. This is the second thing, aside from the one-arm finishes, that I was probably focusing the most, to be honest. Um, that and learning like things like cross Ashi, which I fucking... S you cross Ashi me, I'm your bitch, by the way. I, I, I suck from those positions. But one of the other positions I really tried to work on for my game, since I'm a top guy, I like to use my weight and drape my weight, etc. <laughs> it's one of the only attributes that I have physically. Um... And it's a position you find yourself a lot, a lot in in grappling. It's a home base. And it's essentially, it's like standing in someone's guard um, with one leg in and one leg kind of out. Uh, and Rafael, uh, Rafael Lovato gives really good, uh, you know, instruction as, you know, your penetrating foot, you want it right next to the hip as to why um, the amount of space between your legs and slash the, the frame that you keep uh, while entering and how that keeps them a certain amount of space and the wider they are, um, the less, you know, they can maneuver. Um, it really takes into account a lot of things on how to mitigate what essentially is a wild negative space, right? Because in MMA, it's a double-edged sword. Although I feel like one out, I, I feel like the positive way outweighs the negative. The negative being if you stand in someone's guard, uh, as opposed to the one knee, uh, both knees down like jujitsu, or in MMA, guys are a little more at the ready. Uh, they either fully commit to inside the guard, which you could still do from here, right, as your plan B. You can still drop down and commit, commit and play full to a guard if you don't get a pass or you feel uncomfortable or they start trying to get around you. You can drop your base and start playing inside and tight. So you can still always have that. Um, but I think a lot of guys maybe are reluctant to stand because of when they're, you know, with jiu-jitsu guys, you, they're giving them leg locks, allowing them to spin out and around, and they lose their control, right? Uh, and then in MMA, the anxiety of having that free negative space can be anxious enough, plus you are now legal for up kicks, right? Um, that being said, I still feel like there's way more strikes you could do. I'm going to cite um, those waterfall, as I named it when I was on the, on the show with the heavy hands guys when we were recapping Usman Burns, but those waterfall body punches that really, you know, Peter Yan blasted Jose Aldo, hurt him in the first round with that, right? Um, we see those so much more now. And the home base, it's a great position to just land stuff like that too as well. But from a pure grappling point in the way Rafael Lovato demonstrates his frames and the different types of knee cuts um, to different types of passes to where like at the worst you can lend up in a half guard which again I'm a half guard guy from bottom or top half guard is my shit um, so it, it works really it works really well for me um, that is a very underrated pass uh, go to home base Lovato Jr. and I will say real quickly for Matt or, you know, Benny Abs or anybody, my jiu-jitsu cats listening, um, here's one of the most underrated passes. I thought, I, I, forget, I saw someone talking about, like, working a knee shield pass, and all I know is somebody that was, like, way more qualified than me, so I didn't want to reach out with, with some advice, but I literally have a knee shield pass that it's stupid that I don't see it used. I do it to really good grapplers who are better than me that are active, and they don't see anybody using it. 
Um, but it goes to my thing where cradles are really underused in MMA and grappling in general. And this even applies to straight gi grappling, um, in my opinion, which maybe is not a crazy opinion because, well, there's a lot of control points and the game is a lot more slowed down. Yeah, finding a cradle. Not that crazy, Dan. Well, finding a cradle and letting it, using it to pass when you are... Um, when someone firmly has a knee, uh, a knee shield half guard established on you is quite different, or, or variations of a knee shield. And um, I'm not going to explain what knee shield half because that would take too long, and we're an audio format. So I'm going to go ahead and explain this as if you already know what a knee shield is, and I'll be quick in case you don't. Um, basically, so if you're in knee shield, I will reach, uh, let's say, uh, let's say, let's say we're a knee shield and like, it, it, I'll treat it like an open an open stance matchup on the feet would be an orthodox fighter versus a southpaw, uh, southpaw fighter. Um, so if someone has a knee shield on you, it's kind of like open stance. So let's say their head is on my left side and where they're knee shielding me and where their hips are lining up is more on my right hip, if that makes sense, okay? It could be easily just the other way around, but for my example, um, we're just going to say that. So basically the person on bottom, their right leg is on bottom and interweaved and their left leg is going horizontal with their shin across my belly. And that's essentially protecting them from advancement to even me swinging punches at their head, right? It's gonna be really hard for me to land those. Um, however, instead of swinging punches, what I will do, obviously, because there's no punches in Ki Jiu Jitsu, um, everybody will grip. And when you grip with someone, they're naturally gonna grip you back, right? Especially in Gi, because there's an emphasis on it, even if guys know what they're doing or they're not. It's a very natural, not necessarily wrong emphasis, but you can use someone gripping you against them. Um, I will grip something easily, like a lapel, that I'm not going to get much off of, because I know they're going to use it as an excuse to either de-grip me by grabbing my wrist or grabbing my sleeve in return. In whatever grip they choose to grab me in return, I will draw. That's the far side. That's the left. That's the reaching around of the open guard kind of metaphor, right? I'm on top. I will take that now and kind of bring that into me as my right arm reaches in between their legs. Because again, they have a knee shield half guard set up, right? The bottom person has their right leg intertwined and their left knee is going horizontal across my belly. So I am reaching like from from behind, like like like, like it looks like I'm going about to give them a proctology exam, except I'm going between their legs, right? And I'm going to feed now the gripping war that I've created, I'm going to feed their hand into that wrist that just snuck between, or into that hand that just snuck between the legs. And I'm gonna grab, preferably, their gi sleeve. It's it's a beautiful. If I can get the wrist, I'll go wrist. If it's no gi, no problem, I'm used to that. But if it's gi, preferably that sleeve. It's just such a great grip, right? Um, and once I have that, I will then rip uh, the original grip they had on my left arm. And because I've fed that in, that, that hand in, to my uh, feeding arm, their head is now closer into me. And now with the original hand that I used as fodder and uh, to, to as, as, as a honey trap, I've ripped that free now. The second I rip that free, I'm gonna now reach that behind their head because they've came closer. And as I reach that behind their head, their leverage and their posture is a bit broken and you could actually step through to a cradle, locking your hands. So their knee shield has now just been crunched inward into a cradle, and you are kind of coming around the side. And if you can lock your hands and or even just get a good control and you have a good cradle, you can now unweave your leg that they initially weaved into with their half guard to start. 
you can now unweave that leg and in the same motion you can come across and just reset into a, a front near side cradle but i will actually use two birds with one stone as as i free my leg in the same motion i will hook around behind their knee to really secure that cradle spot and now i can even kind of set up darces now because now i can even let go of that weaving hand because now my leg has replaced that as far as the cradle tension strength and depending on where their hand and arm position is, maybe I can start weaving in and trying to maybe, depending, finish a choke or get into a position to finish a choke. Either way, I can use that for maybe there's no choke there. But now that that leg is interweaved, I have a version of, um, of a leg drag. Leg drag ground and pound if it's MMA, right? Or you can use that and drag their leg to get behind them. So now, you know, and then now you have their back when you were just in a knee shield. <laughs> you go from being in a knee shield to cradling them and having their back. I, I hope I was able to make sense of that position for audio nerds. And any of you guys that come into Vegas as we're moving past this pandemic, hit me up, man. Let's get some grappling time. I know Benny Abs tried to. I wasn't able to. Um, and uh, my man John John Rico tried to uh, the year before that. So uh, keep hitting me up, guys. I, I will come out of my shell. So uh, that was it for listener questions. Apologize for the heaviness that happened in the middle, but it was a listener question. And hopefully this at least gives you guys some weekend listening. I'll be back next week for Sakai Rosenstruck again. It's going to be real surface value. I'm going to try to get it earlier. Hopefully I won't run into as many problems as I did this week somehow, even though it was a slow week. Universe keeps me on my toes. You know how that works. Hopefully I'll be able to get this Rodney Mullen uh, GSP video uh, that I've been secretly, not so secretly working on done. Um, and uh, we'll be back to normal come July, man. I'll be on the Die Hard MMA pod on the 12th. Uh, we've got some big pay-per-views in July. Um, and uh, just these next few weeks, uh, you know, I'll be here. But uh, it'll be at a bit of different capacity with the funerals and the travel and all that stuff. But uh, I want to get to be a five-year anniversary at the end of this year, folks. This podcast will hit its five-year anniversary. And I want to try to get us to 300 episodes uh, and line that up because we're at 262 right now. So I'll see if I can do that. Uh, I'm going to be scheduling more top fives for off weeks in the future. Um, you guys know where to hit me up. Appreciate your support at mixedmartialanalyst.com, the click-throughs, all that good stuff, at Dan Tom MMA, at the PYM Podcast on all social platforms. Good luck on your picks and plays. Be kind to one another. Check the egos. And always protect your neck.